This episode of the Valley Hub Stories podcast has been recorded on Gumbangia country. We acknowledge the care of and connection to country by its people throughout time and time ongoing. Welcome to the Valley Hub Stories podcast. I'm your host, Penny Coulter. This episode brings you the story of Nambaka Valley's Nancy Spasado. Nancy has quite a depth of experience and talent, as you will soon hear. Her background is in the theatre and arts, and now she works with not-for-profits creating connection and sustainability in her role with the Foundation for Rural and Regional Renewal. Nancy is a deep thinker, a visionary, and you'll find there's quite a crossover between her time in the arts and how she does community now. And she has so many interesting insights to share both about the community and about herself. Still, with this depth of experience and understanding, Nancy conveys a desire to learn, a desire to find the stories and a hope to enable people to tell them. If you'd like to know more about the people, places and processes that underpin the Nambaka Valley now and into the future, this conversation is a great place to start. So I recommend listening to this episode with your morning coffee or on your drive to work as you ponder the wonderful ways of being and doing in the Nambaka Valley. Let's start. Nancy Spasato, thank you for coming on the podcast today. No worries. Can you tell me a little bit about who you are? Yeah, where to start? I think maybe front and centre. I work for FRR, Foundation of Rural and Regional Renewal. I'm currently managing a program for them called Investing in Rural Community Futures. And that program's being delivered in eight communities across New South Wales. And I look after Juni, Leeton and the Nambucca Valley. I'm also a mother of two beautiful boys. I'm an artist, come from a um, theatre background. I'm an Italian woman. It's my cultural heritage. And I've been living in the Nambucca Valley for 10 years. And, yeah, my feet are sinking um, firmly into this place. Um, Yeah, deeply in love with this country. Yeah. Can you tell me a little more about your theatre and arts background? Yeah, so I studied creative arts at the Victorian College of the Arts in Melbourne and it was this melting pot. The course doesn't actually exist anymore within the Victorian College of the Arts where they brought together 2D, 3D, theatre, film at that time, 20 years ago. um, Web design was a new wild thing and lots of different forms of theatre practice. And I guess they brought all these different artists under the one roof, which kind of created this wonderful um, space for collaboration between mediums. I majored in theatre but I was also um, right into photography and creative writing. And from there I developed an independent um, theatre practice where I made, I devised um, theatre works, which um, included dance, 
creative writing, poetry, visual mediums. So you can probably get that sense that of that from that experience of this melting pot. For me, art making was, well, whatever story you're trying to tell, what is the best art form to utilise to tell that story? I went heavily. I was always a dancer as a child and I actually went quite heavily into dance, physical theatre practice and travelled the world for um, with one specific um, theatre company. So, yeah, it was a wonderful ticket into other cultures uh, working around the world. Yeah, but then I guess shifting regionally, there's a, um, a real reality about um, contemporary arts practices in the regions. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I had to really flex my muscles in other ways. Mm. I want to hear about that, but I also want to hear about the progression from that world and that transcultural experience into our area and, you know, how that occurred for you and what it has meant for you and for your life direction. Hmm. Yeah, that's a big, another big question. <laughs> well, it was really big. I didn't think it was going to be as big as it was. I was so immersed in raising my babies at the time. So, you know, there's an element of having your blinkers on and Melbourne with babies also didn't quite make sense to me. So even as a little one, I was always drawn to regional communities yeah, as an artist, natural environments, um, yeah, really meant a lot to me and resonated with me and just the beauty you find in those spaces. And we had, my partner grew up just out of Kempsey, so he had a real relationship to this place and we were coming up here to visit family, so I have family here. Yeah, then we just made that move. At that time, we were living in southern Gippsland in a small coastal town called Inverloch. So I guess there wasn't – I was just moving to another coastal town. <laughs> but that's, that's just not a thing, is it, to another coastal town in Australia. They're just so diverse. And the landscape, it's just – you know, we'd step onto a beach in Victoria and I just remember my, the look on my partner's face, like this isn't a beach comparative to the beaches he'd grown up on. Yeah. But those wild beaches were the beaches I'd grown up on. Yeah, so then coming here, it's taken me a long time to understand the culture that I, that I left and what I've found here. Mm. Um, yeah, the integration is, is kind of still unfolding. I'm curious to know what you were thinking in the first, you know, couple of weeks that you were here and trying to find your feet, you know, what, what was going through your mind at that point? I'm not sure. I just think the beauty of this place is so seductive. Yeah, I, I honestly can't remember. I think, you know, back then I probably was really trying to figure out, you know, how to... Um, translate, bring my arts, contemporary, you know, physical theatre practice to this place. And I was probably trying to actively seek out opportunities. I have, I still return to metro areas to present the work that I've made. I guess I still haven't found my feet with showing my arts practice here in the valley. And it's mainly because the infrastructure does not exist, the venues and so forth. Yeah, I guess it's it's kind of creating the world, the structures around those spaces that hold that type of contemporary um, work. For example, 
I make um, physical theatre, I make interactive participatory theatre for young people and families. And that can happen in alternative spaces. It could happen in a gymnasium, et cetera. But it's about the structures around that, like I guess the people and the culture that understands how that work needs to be held. Mm. So it is an educative piece. And I guess with a young family, you know, and just the day-to-day life, how much how much can you do? Yeah. What's possible right now? Yeah. So do you find that that practice and that, I guess, way of being, because art is a way of being with the world, right? Mm. How is that kind of enmeshed in your work for FRRR, your community work, your community presence and who you are and how you move in the world? Mm. I guess I never lost the fact that um, people don't see, we all see our, the world in our own way, but... I guess it will remain with me forever that whoever I'm collaborating with is an artist of sorts. They're creating something. And my work has always been collaborative, like I said, like from that melting pot of the Victorian College of the Arts where everyone is bringing their form, their unique way of seeing the world. And so then how do we bring that together? Mm. You know, what is the process of us bringing what we offer to an outcome and often there's been a greater good piece in, in the work that I make mm. and in the inquiry that it's the value of arts for social, cultural. It's almost become a bit of a word now that doesn't have the depth that it actually means. Yeah. But it's, it's around arts for, yeah, it is arts for wellbeing to a certain extent, you know, and adv- advocacy, yep. key issues. So how do we come together to reach that outcome with all our different tools? Mm. And so I guess even with the work with FRRR, all the different organisations offering all the different ways that they do things and how do we, how do we just continue the process of doing it together? Mm. Mm. Yeah, almost like uh, enabling all of these individuals and the worlds in which they move to tell their stories but to come together for one larger story. Yeah. Tell me uh, a little more about your role with FRRR, so what that looks like on the ground for you on a day-to-day basis. At this point in the program, so we are in the final phases for Junie Leeton in the Nambucca Valley, you know, in that the program will officially culminate in these communities mid-next year. There will be projects that will continue beyond that time frame. So time is a bit weird at this moment with this program. So on a day-to-day basis, I am connecting with organisations and their needs, plugging them into opportunities that are occurring that will, I guess, enable the things that they need to gain some momentum. There's an evaluation part of the program that I am yeah, really leaning into in terms of the insights that have come from that that drive the work that I need to do now in terms of what are the needs that the um, group of funded not-for-profits, what are their needs and and what's the best approach in this final phase. So I'm, I guess I'm really leaning into what that is and how we can attend to that in this final piece. And that might look like further grant applications, there's a lot of administration just in regards to granting and getting one, you know, the development of an idea to literally putting it into an application to that being submitted to FRRR. And then there's, 
you know, validation processes, um, there's approval processes. So there's all these systems, I guess, behind the curtains that we need to attend to to get the right approvals. Uh, so that's and there's, I guess, an evolution of those systems that are that are always happening on our end. So that's also part of my work. There, and there is those the broader pieces for the program generally, be it around improving communications. You know, how do we tell us, how do we tell the phenomenal stories of these um, not for profits better? Like we're constantly sort of asking those kind of those types of conversations, and how do we advocate for the things that we're learning about, etc. Yeah, so what does that look like for you having seen the evolution of a number of these organizations over the past few years and you know, I guess the intimacy of knowing the challenges and the hardships and the individuals within these organizations how does that feel for you coming to you know I guess a formal closure and remaining here mm. I think you know, the work that's been done is quite incredible and it won't stop. And so I just feel so honoured that I'm more connected to these stories. Like this program has actually been a, it's like an amazing key that I was fortunate to be handed that unlocked aspects of this community that I wouldn't wouldn't have their relationships I possibly wouldn't have entered into. So I feel really privileged on that level there's a beautiful part of this program which is about, like philosophically, it's not creating new programs. It's about supporting the unique way of supporting community that already exists here. Yeah. So it was here before us, before me, and it will continue. And I do feel like there is evidence that it's been strengthened and offered time for reflection so that it can continue in ways that I've actually also feel more connected. That's a pretty beautiful outcome is that there is, you know, some really strong collaborations that have um, between not-for-profits that's, that have developed as a result. So I'm just excited to be able to see what happens next. Mm. You know, I, um, I think I said, I can't remember who said it, but someone said, um, you know, that the organisations were strong enough. They were enough before I got here, before FRRR landed here. So there is something in, of course, um, the systems and structures um, and approaches and technology that needs to go into not-for-profit organisations in, like all business, etc. Yeah, but I know this work will continue beyond. That concept of, I guess, connection and the energy and the strength already being there and being held and remaining so... I guess that's that's obvious to people who work in the industry mm. <laughs> um, or in the community sector and perhaps those who volunteer in it too. But I just wonder how that can be translated to to individuals who aren't a part of that conversation because I, it's such a palpable and valuable asset that we have in our community mm. that it, it is within small regional communities and I really feel like it, it should be validated and honoured and mm. shared. So I guess my question to you is how do you think we do that as a community going forward? Yeah, I, I feel like you've touched on a – it brings to mind a couple of things in regards to you – know, I'm not sure if it's just through my own recent experiences 
you know, as well as being within this role, is that this, in terms of community resilience, there needs to be a value check in a way in terms of what really matters. Of course, to a certain element within this capitalist system we exist in, finances, they really matter. But what else really matters? And it's in this not-for-profit sector space where I have witnessed the, you know, the enormous amounts of voluntary work that goes into caring for um, the greater good in this community. Yeah, people going seriously above and beyond. And I'm excited by elements of the program, um, you know, projects that have been funded like the Valley Hub, where it's, it's trying to share that story of human lives and the detail of, of lives of people in the Valley, I guess, to connect others back to that, that value piece of place and, and human connection. And so I do think within this capitalist system, we're kind of enculturated to keep on the, you know, on a grind mm. that moves us away from our core value system, which is around you know, care of place, care of this beautiful place we live in, care of, um, of the people that are here, of our loved ones, um, you know, because time is so restrained, you know, there's no extra time. Where's the extra time to volunteer, etc.? And I guess a focus for me over the last couple of years has been to, you know, yes, hone in on those values, but also hone in on the areas of interest that I hold, that I love, you know, like the arts, etc., um, where there's this sort of never-ending well of energy. And so it's a passion of mine. And so to give energy in that space is quite easy and it kind of works in two directions. I give, but it also feeds me as well. So, I, yeah, I guess I'm really curious about how, what is the process of tapping people into what lights them up, into their value system, into their passion, and then connecting them potentially to a not-for-profit or an organisation in the Valley that has an alignment. And then it seems easier to give time because it kind of works both ways. So, yeah, I'm really curious about what that system could look like, you know, not just for the Valley but, you know, for all communities. Uh, yeah, because I think, you know, even in health studies, don't they say that it's, you know, it's the volunteer time that people remember that kind of really feeds them and, and fills them up. And, of course, that needs to be in balance with basic needs, etc. But if we remove the competitive element, you know, um, and maybe that ego piece around just needing the pay packet to get higher and higher. Try and remove that piece and just knowing what my, you know, what needs need to be met. But then also what is, what is naturally my service? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that that has occurred, you know, perhaps on a broader scale than it would have otherwise following on from the experience of the 2019 bushfires and... The pandemic. Maybe, you know, maybe that's potentially why it, I think there's a whole, you know, it, it sort of depends the path you walk in life, doesn't it? And what you're sort of, yeah, I'm sensitive to, you know, to climate and the changes that are occurring in that space. Um, yeah. And the, and the 
big kind of systemic shifts that need to take place and also curious about, well, me as an individual, what can I do really? Mm. Yeah. So tell me about your your work and uh, this, to my understanding, feeds into your work both personally and with FRRR. Tell me about, I guess, where you were placed in, in the resilience and the recovery kind of section of post-bushfires in community. Yeah, well, that actually, a lot of that work was independent. So in terms of the creative bushfire recovery work that I did, that was independent of FRRR. I wasn't actually in that role when I did that work. But um, yeah, I think that that's probably a great example of that service piece coming naturally where on the night of those fires, you know, when you're looking, when we were all looking at that app and there was an area that was, you know, I can't remember, was it red spots where, you know, there was an area where I knew that a friend's property was, you know, you couldn't tell, was it in the area or not in the area? And after the fires, yeah, I offered to facilitate a creative process. It was in February, so quite early. I guess as a, as a, just a moment of reflection and pause amidst that immediate recovery effort that was going on, I, um, collaborated with Marg Coots as an arts therapist and we combined, yeah, going back to that original story, creative writing, movement and painting and drawing into a very reflective two-hour experience. It's guided, well, very well facilitated. It's all, I guess it draws from that, those participatory spaces that I facilitate and create in that theatre space. And it it's then has a held, um, I guess, debriefing conversation at the end where people um, speak from their truth because they hold their truth. They don't, it's not to speak on behalf of someone else, uh, it is to speak on their truth. So it just, it became a fantastic way of community listening and we then got um, additional funding um, from a few other sources and then did those workshops again um, in your Tungan, um, South Arm, Taylor's Arm. And so it was a beautiful way to offer the community um, reflection through the arts. And also it, it was a fantastic kind of empathic journey for community where, of course, at that time it's inevitable there's going to be tension. Things are going to blow up, you know, when after such events um, just in terms of human relations, but it created a safe opportunity for people to share their stories and it was with that understanding of that perspective and that experience that it felt like community members were able to move on mm. to a next phase of recovery and they could just let go of that, you know, that, that discomfort moment that occurred and just get on with what had to happen next, you yeah. know. So that was quite beautiful. And now I have a, a lot of incredible um, artworks and, yeah, sort of fragments of poetry that I'm still reflecting on what happens with them. Yeah, I guess when there isn't a local kind of art centre to exhibit and archive this work, etc. yeah, what happens next? So that's still one of my jobs to do. But, of course, it then fed into, I guess it's been, I haven't been explicitly working in that space within the IRCF program, but I guess I know that the more connected the not-for-profit sector is, 
moving forward, the more agility there is for them to be able to respond if events like that occur again. It's almost like um, if you're well connected to your neighbour, then you're going to be able to support each other. So, yeah, if we can create, you know, a a sort of a connected not-for-profit ecosystem that then is connected, of course, into other sort of societal structures that need to be, you know, that have, I guess, authority on different things, it just means that we can respond much faster to support community. Mm. Yeah, and I guess my role, which, you know, a neutral role that um, supports, um, I guess, equity in how information is shared, there isn't favouring, you know, one organisation over another, it's just sharing information to support those connections. Yeah, I think there has been a real appreciation of, I guess F triple R coming in at, on that neutral mm. level, and now the work is well. How, how do we ensure that that coordination effort? You know, because it's a lot of communications, it's a lot of keeping people in the loop. Like back to your question, yep. that's the majority of my day: sending emails, making sure people are aware of this or aware of that, so that they can take the opportunity up. No one's missing out. Everyone's kept into the loop. So that coordination, massive relationship management piece. We need to ensure those systems are embedded in community so that there is this kind of, yeah, there is an overarching kind of vision as well. Yeah. So all of those pieces and visions for the future make up Nancy and the Nambucca Valley. Yeah. (laughs) But I want to know, I guess, what is the main lesson? And lesson is like a very structured word, but... You can be as loose as you want with how that how you answer that, but what is what is something that I guess your experience of being here in the Nambucca Valley has gifted you? Mm. The relationships that I've been able to establish with Aboriginal people, Kumbangia people, and organisations that started here, and yeah, I feel um, yeah, I've got a lot of feeling behind that. It's so so big and so complex. And so there is no lesson learnt. There's just so many more lessons to learn. (laughs) And, yeah, that's just what's so sacred about that's a massive part of the story of this place for me. Mm. Yep. What comes next for you, Nancy? Mm. Yeah, how exciting. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I just, yeah, I'm in a, I'm quite excited by life at the moment. Are letting go of worrying about which way it's going to go. Of course, that rears its head every now and again. But, um, you know, like from the story we've just shared, this experience with FRR has been totally, you know, come out of nowhere comparative to where I've come from. So um, enjoying going for the ride. Of course, you, you know, you know, there's areas where my flow comes more naturally, I guess. So that space is probably... Yeah, where I'd like to lean into more. But there's also the reality of life and systems and structures and the things that are valued and not quite just yet, you know. So I want to ensure that there's a lot of play in it as well. Yeah. Thanks for chatting with me today. Mm, Pleasure, Penny. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Valley Hub Stories podcast. We hope that you enjoyed the rich storytelling of Nancy. If you have a story you would like to share or would simply like to connect, reach out to us on our socials at the Valley Hub 
underscore NV or email us at info at thevalleyhub.com.au. Until next time, go well.